You know, Lily, we've covered a lot of myths and misconceptions about product in the past, but there's still a few we haven't covered, and I'm really excited that we get to deal with another one today. That's true, and most of the product teachings I'm familiar with come from the US and Europe, but today we get to talk about the product scene in Africa, and I learned a lot. Philip Nachuku is our guest today. He's based in Nigeria, but has worked with products and customers all over the continent, so he's an ideal tour guide. I'd heard a lot about, you know, SMS-based services and financial innovations in Africa, but he opened up my eyes to a whole lot more. So without further ado, let's chat to Phillips. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Phillips, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Randy, for having me. For anyone who doesn't recognize your name, can you just give us a quick intro? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what do you do now, and how did you first get into product management? All right. Uh, well, first off, thank you so much, Randy, and uh, of course, Lily, for having me on this podcast guest experience. Uh, I've said this before, but I, for the sake of our listeners, I, I'd like to say that it feels absolutely amazing you know to be part of the mind the pillars community and to share my own insights and uh, personal learnings you know from my project for my product management journey in africa my apologies right and, and of course to answer your question um simply put i am a product guy right um although my niche is tailored to helping africa focused businesses to build and to scale successful digital products be they new markets or in existing ones. And uh, I have always been around tech, really. Um, but prior to joining Junior Group, for those who do not know, Junior is Africa's response to Amazon on the continent. And prior to joining Junior Group, I worked with a certain media consulting firm to build out a digital product that was focused on uh, creating, publishing uh, African literary works as audiobooks. Uh, we, we modeled it after uh, Amazon uh, Audible at the time, right? Uh, but, but this was my very first introduction into tech, and it was fresh off university as a grad, right? Um, but after that, my major, major introduction to the world of tech was at Junior. And at Junior, I essentially moved around. I moved from product support uh, to customer support to managing projects around vendor success, vendor support, logistics, affiliate sales, classifieds, and so on. It made sense at the time because Jimmy had, you know, it had several, several functioning departments, several verticals within the same market. So I did, I did everything, you know, at different times. And then it was after these roles and this project, I, I had a very, very important career defining conversation with our then CEO about what was going to be next steps for me. And mm -hmm. she, 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 she recommended, frankly, that I, you know, I leverage my well-rounded operational experiences 
across the organization to take on the role of um, a product operations manager. It was the very first time I had had anything about product operations or anything about around product was my very first time, really. I mean, I had done something previously, but something structured as product operations, I hadn't heard of it before. Um, but then as she put it, I was to support key internal and external products. And I was to work with Junior Central Tech Team in Portugal, Porto, you know. And um, as I say, the rest is history, really. Uh, but that was my very, very first major introduction to tech and to product. So I'm really curious, um, going into getting into product, becoming a product manager via uh -huh. the route of product operations, I've not heard of anyone going through that route before. I've heard of people moving the other way a bit, yeah. uh, but helping people to become, uh, run their product teams more efficiently without having done the job first. That, that sounds fascinating. So can you just tell us a little bit, what did product operations mean at Jumia and what was it like doing your first product role in that space? Yeah, um, it was the very first time Jimmy was hiring some of, you know, what was making that role open. We've never had uh, any product operations role before in the entire Jimmy Nigeria. And in fact, there was no product, no localized product role in Nigeria because everything about our tech, uh, all our tech guys at the time, both in product and engineering side, was domiciled in Portugal. So, the role was essentially non-existent in Nigeria, in Jumia, Nigeria at the time. And I was the first person to take on that role in the company. And the downside, however, <laughs> was that there really was no sound structure to product ops at the time. Um, I didn't go through any training, any onboarding process. I mean, from day one, I was just thrust into everything around product. But then um, I recall that the CEO, the CEO at the time, who was my line manager then, made a particular statement that essentially charted the course for me. She said, she, she, she said something around, uh, Philips, you have to make sure users love our products and that our product people have everything they need. I cannot recall exactly actually, but it was essentially along these lines. But uh, retrospectively, those words, thinking about it now, they much pretty define the crux of what become my passion for several months to come and several years later as well. But specifically, uh, in terms of what it meant at the time and what I did in that, in that capacity at the time, I, I started out you know, helping PMs extract and analyze insights from users from, from various sources. And then it was expanded to helping PMs make sense of user data uh, that was critical to understanding various behavior of users and being able to translate that understanding to actual future improvements, future releases, um, and essentially improving overall product experience. And then I got involved in tracking key product metrics across several verticals from Jumia Mall uh, to Jumia Pay, which was essentially powering uh, our checkout payment and all of that. And then to, to Jumia Prime, uh, to Jumia One, and all other verticals that Jumia was in there at the time. And so, and then I moved around and then I started supporting core product, uh, pr product management work in terms of product documentation, creating product resources for external and internal use, creating SOPs, you know, uh, creating support processes, uh, developing training, training materials for the various products and several tiny, tiny or structured things that essentially culminated to helping our PMs to become more effective 
and focused on their core responsibilities. So in a nutshell, that was essentially what it meant starting out in product ops at the time for Junior. So with starting in product ops, I'm curious yeah. to know, what was the main challenges of um, working in that role and your kind of key takeaways? Like, what does it take to be a, a successful product ops person? Like, how would you kind of describe it to other people who may want to work in that side of, of product management? Yeah, I mean, in, in product ops, um, I started out wearing a lot of hats. You know, uh, like I said, I had moved around uh, in operations. I had done stuff around the core areas of the business. And so I had to bring all of that experience into uh, my role. But then down the line, I, I realized that product ops really, it differs from organization to organization. The challenges I experienced in my, in my role as a product ops person was essentially making sense of tons of data across various products. Um, in total, I was supporting around seven products, both internal and external, and I was just the only person. So, um, and PMs who were uh, our PMs who were in Porto at the time, they they needed me to make sense of the data. They needed me also to you know support product documentation, to be their eyes and ears on the local scene, um, and then you know trans translate my learnings, you know, insights I've been I've, I've extracted from users to other countries, not just Nigeria, but to Egypt, uh, essentially four other countries that had very, very major junior presence. So around making sense of the data, I also encountered challenges around working with uh, stakeholders, really, because in that role, as a product ops person in Nigeria, I had various stakeholders. Outside of the people I was you know, reporting to, so to speak, I also had the guys in Portugal, the, the the several product managers and uh, I, I had to work with the various product teams. There were at least at least five different product teams scattered around and working with working on several products. So managing the myriads of those that stakeholder relationships, um, extracting data, and speaking to directly liaising with uh, tons of users we had at the time, you know, making sense of that data, it was tough. Believe you me, it was tough. And then when you consider that uh, various data sources were very ton, you were, you were looking at uh, databases, conducting focus groups, uh, interviews, uh, sitting in with uh, our support teams, listening to support calls, viewing support tickets, extracting any insights from anywhere possible, essentially. And I was the only person across seven different products. So it was pretty tough, I must say challenging but uh nothing that i didn't eventually handle and that must have been very hard in terms of uh you know if you're working across the whole of the african continent as well with the, <laughs> with the business that you're working with um and the kind of complexities of working across a massive continent essentially so yeah. what kind of what kind of complexities did that bring i mean it seems like a a huge undertaking for one person to have to do. It so, is. how did you manage that? How did you um, how did you set yourself up so that you could <laughs> kind of move forward without just <laughs> being overwhelmed with um, with all of the the work that you had to do? Yeah, um, in my role, I think uh, the major the major thing really that helped me scale through these challenges was my deep understanding of the product. 
um, because I was coming from a customer support background, ventured into vendor support, uh, resolving myriad of issues cutting across various departments, key departments around the business. I was well-rounded. Um, but then, because the knowledge I had was operational, I had to commit to getting much more in-depth knowledge around how the product really, really worked, not just from the user side, but from um, the product side of things and generic side of things as well. So um, I took out time to really, really understand how the product worked. I also took out time to understand the various metrics that mattered and um, how those metrics were mined and measured and improved at various, uh, at various times. And so those two key understandings were very pivotal to whatever success I, um, I was able to achieve. And of course, um, it was the same thing across the various countries. So Nigeria, Kurwa, Kenya, um, South Africa, Egypt, Morocco, it was essentially the same thing. Understand the product, not just from the user's perspective, but from the engineering side of things, you know, from the actual product side of things. And then understand the metrics, the key metrics that mattered, how those metrics are measured, how exactly they can be improved. And of course, when you have this, this, when I understood all these things, I also had the privilege of leaning, always leaning on the users. And we had tons and tons of them. And so these two key things really, or three I may say, really helped me surmount these challenges really. Phillips, aside from uh, you know some things like M-Pesa and things like that, I don't hear a huge amount about the African technology scene and about uh -huh. companies there. I don't know very much about the state of product management there. And you've had the opportunity, as you said, to work with uh, with teams and users in many different countries. Can you just give us a bit of an overview of what the scene is like? What's the maturity of product management in Africa? And is it really different in Nigeria? Well, um, thank you, Randy. You know, that that is one conversation I have every time I speak to counterparts outside of Africa and even outside of Nigeria, right? But the, the, the tech ecosystem in Africa, as you may know, it has, it has experienced outstanding growth in the last 10 years. I mean, this growth has been year on year. I mean, you, you, can, you can take various indices like uh, the amount of funding that has come into Africa, the amount of startups that have, um, that have that have sprouted in Africa, and these startups have, have all been impact driven. And then there, there's also been, like I said, an exciting surge if you consider the number of tech startups, you know, that are solving different important problems in various sectors and industries across Africa. And as you can imagine, you know, digital products are also being expanded across various countries all over the continent. So essentially, we are seeing innovative products not just in fintech. But we're seeing innovative products in edtech. Edtech is education technology. We're seeing, we're seeing products in property tech. We're seeing pr products in legal tech, in health tech, neither pension tech. They keep springing up every year. And, and of course, uh, as 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 these products are being are being built, are being launched, are being scaled, uh, and of course achieving unicorn status, we're seeing a lot more people. They are finding purpose in digital product management. And amazingly, we have these tons and tons of of, uh, of startups who are having digital offerings, uh, but still do not prioritize the work of PMs, as you can imagine, reflecting the salaries and all, and how they're 
compensated. But but in, in, in a nutshell, the current state of product management in Nigeria is maturing. And the same can be said about the, the state of product management in Africa. And our future is very, very promising, really. And are there kind of hotspots within yeah. Africa? Where where are the hotspots? Where are the places <laughs> where people should be keeping their eyes like peeled for those hot startups coming out? All of Africa, I can say this, all of Africa, <laughs> because <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of problems, a lot of uh, important problems to be solved in Africa. Yes, we are grappling mm. with a lot of social, political, economic infrastructure issues, but problems to be solved that can be translated into businesses, uh, profit-making ventures abound in Africa. But uh, I, I, I cannot stay in this podcast and uh, say that all of all, all across Africa are hotspots. But specifically, we have Nigeria. Nigeria has shown a lot of innovation across various sectors. Um, and then we have Egypt. I think even last year, Egypt had more funding than Nigeria. But this year, Nigeria, Nigeria had way more funding than Egypt. And then we're seeing, seeing Morocco as well. Uh, and then if you move down to Eastern Africa, we're seeing Kenya, uh, we're seeing even Tanzania, and then Francophone Africa. We're seeing a lot of other innovative fintechs um, come from Cameroon uh, and, and various other uh, Anglophone and other Francophone countries in Africa. So all across Africa, like I said, problems abound mm. problems that can be solved innovatively they abound but specifically these places i've mentioned are like you put it the hotspots and most of the things i've heard about uh and i'm very aware that these may be misperceptions and misconceptions about the <laughs> about africa but most of the things i've heard about have, are innovations that have had to deal with uh, the fact that so much is done on SMS or a lack of bandwidth and lack of infrastructure in some cases uh, and trying to make things uh, popular at scale without having some of the uh, uh, um, reliability of, of infrastructure. Is, yeah. that just a, is that just a misperception or is that where thing, is that accurate? Okay. Um, I, I, am, I am actually divided as to whether I should give you a long answer <laughs> or a short one. So I'll just try to give you an in-between response. Um, but you are not wrong and you're also not entirely right. Um, it is not a misconception. Uh, I, I'd, I'd rather call it a half perception, okay? Because it doesn't, sh it doesn't reflect the full picture. In Nigeria, for example, we've, we've got around 200 million people. Now you would find in Nigeria that a lot of the technical innovation that has been around our most you know, important challenges of the continent has been you know, centered on simplifying trade, right? But then you, you notice that the reality is that it's, it's, of course, exacerbated by the fact that there is a massive trust deficit in Nigeria, massive trust deficit. And then this combines perfectly with our collective need to simplify buying and selling. Remember that I, I said I said something around simplified trade being uh, our most important challenge as a continent. Now, in simplifying buying and selling, we're able to produce innovation. Now, I'll give you an example. When when you hear when you hear fintech, when you hear innovations around fintech, um, you you you'd see that they are primarily due to the uh, the necessity for us to simplify banking and other financial services as a way to cushion this trust deficit. So. Because the average African does not really trust that money sent in from an account to a different bank 
you know, we'll still get to him the next day or a few days. We had to innovate around P2P intrabank money transfers that are near mm -hmm. instant. So if you were to send money from this account in this bank to another account in a totally different bank within the same country, of course, in Nigeria, for example, the person receives that almost immediately. Now, um, when you consider that there are other people who live in rural areas without basic internet bandwidth, uh, they still need to send and receive their funds. So again, we innovated around USSD. Okay, USSD is essentially where you have a text message on structured supplementary service data. And now USSD banking is also near instant. Now, it is the same thing across other cadres of financial services. When you talk about switching, interbank settlement, lending, all of these things are centered on the fact, on the basic fact that in Nigeria and by extension Africa, there is that massive, massive trust deficit. But on the flip side, right, it has it has also made things easier for us to you know begin to innovate around every other problem that has its roots in simplified near instant financial transactions. And like I said, it's the same across Africa. It is our reality, and I'm glad that we are aggressively maximizing it. I've never heard it put that way. That's really interesting. Thank you for that answer. <laughs> Pleasure is mine, Randy. <laughs> and so um, you've kind of mentioned before about peculiar challenges um, working in product management in Africa. Yeah. Um, are there other challenges besides that, that kind of trust deficit um, that you have to deal with on a regular basis? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the, but you know, this this question is tough because, like I mentioned, across Africa there are several important challenges. Um, and this, when when you have conversations with your colleagues from around the world about these challenges, you'd you'd almost never hear them say that it it, it applies to them in their various continents and countries. But for Africa, it's it's it's, it's just there. But I'm going to limit my response to just about two major pro problems or challenges. Uh, I've talked briefly about the data, but then I'll also talk about talent. And as it concerns data, we have challenges around available and reliable data. It may not make sense to you, Lily and Randy, but it's a serious, serious challenge. And, and, and when I talk about data, I am specifically talking about the absence of qualitative and quantitative granular knowledge of the African people and the African environment. I have a mentor, his name is uh, Victor Semota. He, he would always say things like uh, that, that Africans do not know who we are and where we are. So as a result, there are a lot of, there are too many unknowns that are largely being assumed by various players, even outside the African tech ecosystem. So whether you are building outside of Africa, but for Africa, it is a trend I've seen. Um, founders, uh, venture capitalists and all of that assume a ton of things because there is seldom available or reliable data. I, I, I personally, I have, I have this theory that a lot of the data about Africans and the African market is unreliable and largely assumed. And no one has, I, ha I haven't put it to test though, but these are things I've seen um, across, across the years. So when you see an entrepreneur starting a company or a product person building or scaling a product, they have to grapple with this, the issue of collecting reliable data. And, and of course, reliable data is pretty expensive in Africa. And collecting that reliable data and balancing their efforts with modeling people's own lived experiences of the problems that they're trying to solve. 
So it is entirely not strange to find that scaling digital products in Africa is mostly hard because of the lack of available and reliable data. And, and as you move from industry to industry, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Randy. I was going to ask, does that make it more important to be lean, uh, to run quick experiments to, to test your assumptions? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But then in running those quick experiments, you also realize that all your tests are based off of uh, people's lived experiences. When it comes to scaling now, scaling that product, you'd also need uh, data that will be able to support whatever business case you're coming up with. You know, and, and, and it's the same from industry to industry. This data problem persists in fintech, in e-commerce, in logistics, in real estate, pensions, asset management, name it, health, education, etc. The problem of available and reliable data is there. Now, um, the, the second most important challenge, in my opinion, is the challenge of data. But uh, in the last 10 years, it, it has witnessed drastic improvement uh, by, by you know, conscious, concerted efforts within the tech ecosystem in Africa. Um, I don't know, you, you may have heard a few years back, uh, Jumias Kosi, one of the founders then, his name is Jeremy Hodara, he was asked why Jumias software engineers were, were mainly sourced outside Africa. And his response was that, you know, there were very few talented engineers on the continent. That was around 20, 20, 2012, 2013. Now, years back, it was the same thing with product managers. You know, but, but I am glad as I look back at where we're coming from, I'm excited that uh, a lot of young people, they are seeing the light. They are genuinely choosing to learn the skills of product management. And, and all over Africa, we have product communities and platforms that are supporting this drive. So we have, we have Product Dive, we have Utiva, we have PM Africa, there are a ton of them you know, that, that are providing experiential training, certifications, access to internships, webinars, boot camps, and most importantly, they are meshing these themes, these teachings, now these experiential trainings with what I call the African context to building successful products. And of course, uh, it's important to also talk about uh, communities like Mind the Product. What Mind the Product has done in, in, in product management is, is unprecedented. It has essentially open sourced global perspectives around product management and then providing access to resources that go a long way to essentially showcasing um, global best practices on authors product management. So in a nutshell, when you, when you consider that there's currently an insane proliferation of tech startups all over Africa, um, it is very, very important to also know that these newly minted, uh, freshly upskilled PMs, they are now the ones being absorbed by these, these startups, these tech startups you know, in building the potential unicorns. And in my opinion, it, it really, it can only get better from here. So that's quite a, a bunch of um, challenges to overcome in terms of that it available is. and reliable data, talent, and the trust deficit that you mentioned deficit, as well. Absolutely. So how, how does this affect how you kind of approach your product strategy and your roadmap development? How, how do you think about these challenges when you're working through those? Yeah, you know, um, as a PM, you know, building in Africa, or as a, even a startup founder, uh, there's an upside, you know, to navigating these challenges. And that upside is that you are forced to really, really, really innovate. All right. In, in Africa, innovation is a necessity. It is not an option, I assure you. 
you don't come to Africa and do the bare minimum on your product and expect to impact anyone or to even win in the marketplace. Right. So another thing is that product managers are constrained to always question the data. Right. So at every point in your product development roadmap or your product growth roadmap, whatever it is, you are making sure that if you are developing new products or new features, you are pre-totyping everything, not prototyping. You are pre-totyping everything. You are validating everything. You are questioning every data. You are testing out everything. And you are, you are not just making business cases using data from, say, six months or one, on one year ago. They are always dynamic, uh, changing things about that data that you would have to always test out and question. Now, um, the average PM, should also be aware that you know this these challenges will take time really before they get better, and so we are always prepared and strive to be well equipped, and also get our hands dirty because in building products that users love, we have to solve key problems, and there is no available data to support some of the positions we may take, you know, and 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 we have to also make sure that those products we're building, they are making actual measurable impact and they are winning the marketplace. So yeah, questioning the data every time and then really, really um, leveraging various people's lived experiences all across um, Africa and all across the audience that you're building for to really, really innovate around whatever your product offering is. So I think, I think, I think it's the key you know, in in uh, developing product strategies amongst this myriad of challenges we've so far discussed. So, Phillips, this has been a fantastic conversation. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. Uh, so I'm going to try and hit you with one last question. Uh -huh. uh, and this is uh, uh, one on behalf of a friend of mine, someone who was working with me who just recently left to go work with an African-based company. Yeah. I'm curious, so for anyone who's, not worked in Africa before and starting to work uh, with product teams in country, what's the, the thing that you think would be the biggest challenge for them? What's the thing that they should watch out for uh, as they get started? Okay. Um, so um, I think in my opinion that recent times I've seen Africa focused businesses really with uh, non-African founders, you know, failed miserably, primarily because um, they failed to understand that there is such a thing as the African context. Yes, it's a real thing. But simply put, mm -hmm. it, 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 it means that whatever works so well outside of Africa has very slim chances of working well here if, if it is not retrofitted to adapt to the African context. Now, if you even, even when you come into the African context, there is something as major and as important as the Nigerian context if you're building in Nigeria. Uh, and and mm -hmm. I, I promise you that this is so serious and it is different from whatever it's obtainable across South African markets. If you are building a product or if you're expanding your product, your product offering to Africa, look out for the African context. Take out time, really, um, to understand the African context, whether in terms of uh, whatever theme around it that you're looking at, understand the African context to that thing. Uh, in, in, in trade, in moving money around, you know, whatever theme it is that your, your, your product is focused on, take our time to understand the African context. If you do not do that, it could be one of the major reasons why your product may fail. And in the, in, in the press of failure, lose a, a lot of money for you as a founder and for you as a venture capitalist.
Let, let me follow up on that a tiny bit more. So in the, yeah. in the U.S., uh, there's some peculiar challenges of operating across different states, even though there's yeah. one dominant language and, and arguably one dominant culture. Europe has lots of challenges around language and, and cultures and regulations. Uh-huh. You know, we've. I asked you a question about working in Africa. Was that yeah. a stupid question? Is it? Is it really? Is there an African context, or is it a Nigerian context and a Cote d'Ivoire context and a South African context? <laughs> I'll tell you this. More often than not, and, and, and I, I say this out of respect to other African countries, right? A lot of the things that work well, if a product works well in Nigeria, chances are that it would also work well in other African countries. I mean, I've, I've had to run experiments in Nigeria, launch products in Nigeria. If they failed, chances are that they may not really, really uh, succeed in other African countries. So more often than not, you find that a lot of uh, businesses who want to have an African reach, a continental reach all across Africa, they make sure they, they tap the Nigerian market, right? So there is some that's a Nigerian market. But in terms of peculiar challenges uh, as a continent, really, um, I think in terms of uh, geopolitical organization, Africa draws a lot of similarities with Europe. But uh, if you consider Europe, despite its cultural, language, and regulatory challenges, like you mentioned, it still has arrangements, certain arrangements that work for it. A major example mm-hmm. in this context is the trade relationship between member states, right? This relationship stretches to logistics and uh, intracontinental migration of people, right? So you have, a, you have a, an EU, a European Union, that essentially regulates trade and migration among member states. These two things, trade and migration of people, it streamlines a lot of things and makes it easier for organizations to efficiently do business with one another. Now, when you consider Africa, it is a far cry from Europe's situation. I cannot begin to you know, tell you how expensive and difficult it is for me as a Nigerian to travel, to migrate, to set up a business or conduct a simple business transaction with another business or another person in a different African country. It is terribly expensive that it is so much expensive that a lot of our tech businesses are doing, you know, they are even going outside of Africa to register their businesses. It's that expensive. So while you have Africa grappling with cultural language challenges, there is the greater evil of, you know, an absence of a unifying continental agreement or policy on key business drivers, the migration of people, the movement of goods and services. But I, I, I know that some of these things are changing. You know, they are changing, especially because African countries are coming together. I know that there is a recent agreement called uh, the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement, recently signed by 54 of the 55 African countries. And we are, we are really hopeful that uh, this pact will ameliorate some of these challenges. Well, Phillips, as Lily and I both live and work in the UK, we're finding out exactly how challenging that kind of thing can be with a pro sports world. Well. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> your Brexit situation. <laughs> but we don't need to dwell on that one today. Thank you very much for everything. The pleasure has been mine. Oh, it's been so great learning about products in Africa and I think you've done an excellent job at making it sound very exciting, very challenging, but also very exciting. And uh, can't wait to hear 
more stories from Africa, hopefully from more product people. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The excitement is well hidden in the challenges. If you unbox the challenges, you'd find the excitement, I assure you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Phillips. The pleasure is all mine, Lily. Thank you so much for having me, Randy. I loved getting this insight into Africa. Honestly, it does sound really exciting. It does. And it's a great reminder that innovation abounds when there are unique challenges to overcome. So if you like what you're listening to, then please share it with your friends, your family, maybe even your boss. And you know, you can always subscribe so that you never miss a trick. See you next time. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm-hmm.